my name is Josh, and if uh, you don't know who we are, uh, my wife and I, we just moved to Windsor about uh, almost four weeks. It'll be four weeks this Tuesday. We have enjoyed our time in Windsor. Um, we've been living overseas the last uh, 18 years of our lives, and uh, it's, it is nice sometimes to be in a, in a place where you can speak the language fluently and you understand what people are saying to you 95% of the time. And so, uh, but we, uh, so 18 years ago, uh, my wife and I, we moved overseas. And we decided to move to a very small town. Uh, typically, people who went overseas, they decided to move uh, to capital cities to do language study. We had already studied some uh, of the language of that country. And so we decided we were going to move out to more of the countryside area. And so no one lived there. No missionaries had been there since 1937. But we knew this town was about four and a half hours away from the capital city. And that's about all we knew. So we landed in the capital city, just the two of us and our suitcases, and we uh, got off the plane, and we eventually made our way to the bus station where we bought tickets. We knew, we, you know, we could speak a little bit of Chinese, and we bought bus tickets, and we realized, okay, buses leave every 30 minutes, and it's going to take about four and a half hours for us to get from this capital city to the town. But we didn't, I mean, there was no Google, there's no internet, there's nothing except for like a little travel guidebook, it used to be called Lonely Planet. I'm not sure if you've heard of Lonely Planet. That's a very dear and near to our heart, but now we have the internet, so no big deal. But we had, nothing, we had no idea about where we were going to stay, what we were going to do to be there long term, no one to help us. And so we got on the bus, and we met a math teacher uh, who was on the bus, and we said, hey, are there any hotels in town? He said, yeah, there's, there's a hotel right across from the bus station exit. And we said, okay, great. So at least we knew where the hotel was going to be, that we were going to try to stay at. As a foreigner, you have to be kind of uh, skilled at finding hotels that will let you stay there because you cannot stay in every hotel uh, in this country. And so anyway, we, uh, we get our stuff, we get to the hotel, we get checked in. It's been a long day. And we're like, oh, we could just relax. Or there's a walking street right out in front of the hotel where cars couldn't drive. People kind of go out and saunter and just kind of take their time. We said, let's get out. Let's go walk. So we get out of the hotel. We start walking. And uh, we are the only two, for the two years we lived there, we were the only two white-faced foreigners in this town. And so you can imagine, most people had never seen a foreigner except just on the TV. And what do you do when you look at the TV, right? You're just kind of looking at the TV, right? Well, that's what they did to us. They see us and they're like, wow, look at that. They're like walking. I mean, it was great because you're just like, okay, he's like famous celebrity. Not really. It wasn't all that great. But anyway, one boy, his name was Robert. He was a junior in high school. He came up to us and he said, you're a foreigner. And I was like, that's right. He's like, you speak English? I'm like, yeah, I speak English. He goes, can I learn English from you? And I'm like, yeah, Robert, that'd be great. So the next day he comes to the hotel lobby and we're chit-chatting and just talking. And over the course of the next few weeks, we share the good news with Robert. He comes to believe. And seven of his friends come to believe. And in this town, no missionaries had been there since 1937. And here we are showing up in 2004. Jesus, Jesus has his sheep. Jesus came to die, to gather all of his sheep from around the world. And here we are. We happen to take this bus at this time. Happen to go to this hotel because this math teacher directed us there. And we got on the walking street at that time, and we met Robert. And it was just, it was a glorious thing to be the voice of the shepherd that was proclaiming the good news so that his sheep would hear. 
and come to believe. Our 12th reason that we're talking about that Jesus came to die is Jesus came to die to gather all his sheep from around the world. And he has chosen for us to be the voice to people. He has chosen for us to be his voice to his sheep. And so today we're going to be in John chapter 10, verses 1 through 18. We're going to read the entire section from 1 to 18, just so you can hear the context, hear the setting of our message today. John chapter 10. We're seeing if everybody's found it. Okay, hopefully you found John chapter 10 by now. Verse number one, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters the door by, excuse me, but he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know, do not recognize, the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, that is, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Now, when we call our children to come to us, it's not simply their name that they hear and respond to. If it was just merely their name being called, anyone could call them and they would go to that person. But rather when we call them, it's both their name and the voice of the one who is calling them that they recognize and that they respond to. Imagine a situation where a child is wearing a name tag from either school or childcare or something like that and they're out and about in a mall or in a park and a stranger calls out to them, hey Josh, come here. Right? But some children will stand there kind of dumbfounded like, who's this person who's calling me? Some children will actually run away from that stranger. And some children will immediately begin looking for someone they know and someone they trust. And it is the same with sheep. In verse number five, 
Jesus says that the sheep will not follow a stranger, but instead the sheep will flee from the stranger. And why is that? Because they don't recognize, they don't know the voice of the stranger. Our children grow up hearing the sound of our voice. They're familiar with it because of all the time they have spent listening to our voices. Sheep are the same way. They have spent their entire lives listening to the voice of one shepherd. And when someone calls to them that they do not know, the warning signs begin to go on. Who are these strangers that Jesus is talking about in verse number 10? Excuse me, in John chapter 10. In verse number 1, Jesus says that there are some who try to enter the sheep pen by some other way than the gate. So first we have to ask, why would anyone want to enter a sheep pen by some other way? Right? You're not going into the sheep pen to take a nap. You're not going in. I mean, it's going to be a pretty smelly place. No one's going in there just to kind of hang out and chill. If someone goes into the sheep pen by some other way, it's for some sneaky reasons. And that's why Jesus says that a person who enters the sheep pen by some other way than the gate is a thief and a robber. The thief is a stranger to the sheep. The sheep hear the stranger's voice inside the sheep pen, and they immediately sense danger. Now, why do they sense danger? Part of the reason is because, I don't know if you know this, but sheep have terrible eyesight. I mean, they have their eyes you know, are kind of to the, more to the side like ours is. So in some sense, their peripheral vision is much better than ours is. But they can only see about 20 foot clearly in front of them. 20 foot's about what? About three, four rows out here in front of me, right? They can't see further than that. So they really have to depend upon their sense of hearing. And so because they have to rely upon their sense of hearing so much, when they hear the voice of a stranger, they immediately sense danger. So what the first question I want to ask this morning is, are there any voices that you are hearing that you need to flee from? There, there are voices that are coming from inside the sheep pen that are thieves and robbers. They do not come through the gate. They are not there in the sheep pen legitimately. They desire to take advantage of you for their own personal gain or for their own personal pleasure. So how can you tell whether someone has come into the sheep pen legitimately or not? That is to ask, what are some characteristics of thieves and robbers? I think what we can also call false teachers. First thing is that in some cases, false teachers actually believe that they have divine status. And it sounds a little bit ridiculous to think, well, I'm divine, but they will call themselves little g, small g, gods. And because they are little g gods, just like they are, just like God, big g God, can kind of speak and something is created, they also believe that as a little g God, they can just speak it forth and it's going to happen. A new house, a new job, a better boss. They just say, just speak it out. Second, because they are divine, they equate with what they, what they teach with divine revelation. They say that what they receive is directly from God. And often this information is not found directly in the Bible, but is related to what we read in the Bible. And this is dangerous because not everything that false teachers say is heresy and unbiblical. Much of what they say is related to and comes from the Bible. But they add to the scripture and they twist the scripture to fit their own teaching. And these false teachers, this is the third thing, the false teachers teach that a person will only believe what their teaching is if God gives them a special open heart 
special revelation to know that the false teacher's teaching is true. So let me give one specific example of a very popular popular author. I don't I, I do say this with a little bit of fear and intrepidation because I know that she's very popular, but I'm happy to discuss anything after the service is over. She teaches explicitly that Jesus stopped being the Son of God when he went into hell. That while Jesus, that while in hell, Jesus the man paid for our sins as he was tormented by the devil and demons. That Jesus the man was the first born again man. And that if you do not believe what she says about Jesus, then you're going to hell. And here's the kicker. The only way that you will believe what she says is if God gives you a special, again, special divine revelation to know that what she says is true. Now let me be clear. Are any of those teachings in the Bible? None of them. Her name is Joyce Meyer. Now again, it's not as though what she says is all heresy and all unbiblical because there is a lot of biblical content. But she demands that anyone who does not believe what the things that she says, they're not saved. And the only way that you're going to believe her is if God helps you to believe her. So then the question is this, how do we discern whether someone is a false teacher or not? We need to be able to discern this. We need to know the voice of the good shepherd. We need to listen to it. Just like our children, right? All of the hours, all the time, they have becoming familiar with our voice. We need to listen to the voice of the good shepherd. We need to be able to identify it immediately, especially in contrast to the false teachers. The voices of strangers, the voices of the hired hands, the voices of the wolves, they're inside the sheep pen. So when my wife, Rachel, when she worked at the bank, she received training on how to detect false, uh, how do you say this, counterfeit money. And every day she would count dollar bills. I mean, they would just make her just count dollar bill, real dollar bills, over and over and over and over. And it became so tedious, but yet they snuck a false one, a counterfeit bill into her when she was counting. And immediately she was like, what? hold on. She felt it and she felt something different about that bill I mean, it looked so real, but it was counterfeit. In the same way, we should spend the majority of our time with the Good Shepherd. We should be hearing his voice. We should not be spending the majority of our time listening to or reading false teachers to prove their falseness. Instead, we should so familiarize ourselves with the voice of the Good Shepherd that when someone speaks something that does not accord with what he teaches and what he says, we sense danger and we flee from it. So what is the good voice of the shepherd like? Excuse me, what is the voice of the good shepherd like? In verse 2 through 4, let's read verses 2 through 4 again. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the door, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. What is his voice like? The shepherd calls his own sheep by name and leads them out of the pen. He goes before them. He calls his own sheep in the direction they need to go, not driving them like cattle. We also read that the sheep follow him. That is, his voice is very followable. Why is this? Because they know his voice. They've so familiarized themselves with it. And not all people, though, not all people will listen to the shepherd's voice and follow him. And we have an example right here in John chapter 10. 
Look at verse number six. Let's read verse six. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So there's some irony in this verse, isn't there? Because the them in 10.6, chapter 10, verse 6, is the same them in John chapter 9, verses 40 and 41, talking about the Pharisees. And some of the Pharisees, I have a lot of references here. When you look at John chapter 10.26, you go down a little bit further, Jesus says, they don't believe in Jesus because they are not among his sheep. Jesus' sheep hear his voice and they follow him, and anyone not following Jesus is not of his sheep. How do we get familiar with the voice of the Good Shepherd? It takes hours, not months and years. With anything that you want to become proficient at, it does not take months and years, but it takes hours. I've played the guitar for 25 years, but the number of hours that I've put into playing the guitar only shows I'm still at a very basic level. It probably doesn't add up to more than about two or three years, but it sounds a little more impressive, right? If I say, I've been playing the guitar for 25 years, right? Somebody says, I'll stand up and play a song for us. It's like, well, uh, yeah, right? I only have about a two-year proficiency level. You do not want to be putting me up here on stage with Luke to play a solo or to play alongside him. Maybe if it's like 12-bar blues, right? I can play 12-bar blues. But anyway, it takes hours not months and years. It takes time to get to know someone's voice, and we have with us the very words of God. The word of God in our own language, which, by the way, is not true for thousands of languages around the world, and you have an education that helps you be able to read the word of God, which is also not true for many of our brothers and sisters around the world. If we neglect reading God's word, then we are neglecting a basic fundamental means that God has given us to get more familiar with the voice of the shepherd. And so if we're not reading God's word, we shouldn't be surprised when the voice of strangers does not cause, <clears throat> excuse me, does not cause us to flee, especially when others are telling us to be careful, be careful of that person, be careful of that person. Unless there is some unusual circumstance in your life, we should be reading the Bible every day. Sometimes our reading is more for an overview, right? You're trying to read through the Bible in a year, trying to read through the Bible in two years. Sometimes, though, your, your reading is more for study. I'm actually going to dig in and try to understand more about this chapter and what it says. Sometimes your reading is more like meditation, where you come upon a verse, or you come upon a phrase, or even a word, and it just strikes your heart, and you have to just stop. And you just have to meditate on it. And you have to kind of chew on it and just let it impact you. You have different kinds of reading, but no matter what, we should be in the Bible every single day. So not only do we need to know the voice of strangers and the voice of the Good Shepherd, but we must also see the reality of the Good Shepherd and who he is. In fact, we must see his authority, his necessity, and most certainly we must see his impact. But first I want to look at his authority from verses 17 through 18. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to, to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Jesus is very clear in this passage that he is going to lay down his life for the sheep so they can be saved. If we look again in these verses, Jesus uses the phrase lay down three times in reference to sacrificing his own life for the sake of the sheep. 
And he is clear that no one takes his life from him. Jesus is not the victim of the religious leader's jealousy. He is not the victim of Pontius Pilate's cowardice. He is not the victim of his disciples' abandonment. If you think back to Acts chapter 4, after Jesus has ascended, the Holy Spirit's come, the disciples are in power preaching the gospel now. They've been arrested in jail. They were released. They're regathering with the disciples. And James, excuse me, Peter and John, they are with the other believers. And they have this prayer, the part of their prayer in Acts chapter 4, verses 27 through 28. For truly in this city, Jerusalem, there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. So the people who plotted against Jesus did so according to God's plan that he had predestined to take place. God the Father gave the authority, which is the power and the right and the command, to Jesus to lay down his life and the authority to take it up again. Now listen to this. This authority means that no one does anything good or bad outside of God's control or providence. Our shepherd had authority over his own life, both to lay it down and to take it up again. And he became the first fruits from the resurrection. But who has authority like this? None but God himself. This is not some random shepherd, but the Son of God come in the flesh, who has authority to lay down his life for his sheep and to take up his life again. So clearly Jesus has authority, but there is also a very clear necessity for him to lay down his life. So if we look at verses uh, 7 through 15, I'd like to read those again. Start in verse number 7. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and he cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. I lay down my life for the sheep. Was it necessary for Jesus to come to the earth to gather all his sheep from around the world? In verses 7 through 10, Jesus calls himself the door for the sheep. That is, he is the door that no one else has ever been. He's the door that no one else will ever be. He is the door through which the sheep can enter and be saved. And they will be able to go in and out and find pasture to graze. So what is it that the sheep need to be saved from? Well, in the immediate context, it's thieves and robbers. Anyone who came before Jesus, as well as anyone who comes after him, and tries to convince the sheep that they are the door, is a thief and a robber. These people come not to save and to give life to the sheep, but they come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. So yes, it was necessary for Jesus to come to the earth to gather his sheep from around the world. So this is the twelfth reason that Jesus came to die, to gather his sheep from around the world. In verses 11 through 15, we read that Jesus is the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus first contrasted himself 
with those who are thieves and robbers and who would harm the sheep. And now Jesus contrasts himself with a hired hand. The shepherd owns the sheep and they are his. He cares for them deeply. And so when danger comes, the good shepherd will do everything in his power to protect the sheep. But the hired hand does not own the sheep. And when he sees danger coming, what does he do? He runs away and he abandons the sheep. Then the sheep are scattered and unprotected. And the wolf comes in and kills the sheep. But Jesus is the good shepherd because he lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus makes a statement that I think is quite interesting in verses 14 and 15. He says, I know my own and my own know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. Jesus is making a comparison here and we have to ask what aspect is being compared. Right? God the Son knows God the Father, God the Father knows God the Son. He's trying to make a contrasting, or he's trying to make a comparison with us knowing Jesus and Jesus knowing us, the sheep and the shepherd. The relationship between the Father and the Son is eternal and is perfectly loving without any taint of sin. So we know that those are not ways in which Jesus knows the sheep and the sheep know him because we're, number one, we're not eternal, and number two, we don't live without taint of sin. So we have to ask what ways can we see that, that Jesus is trying to relate? Like, I know the Father, and the Father knows me in the same way the sheep know me, and I know them. First, we can say that Jesus knows us by name. And we know him by name. Two, say, roughly 7.8 billion people in the world, but you hear billions and your brain kind of blows up. I'm not sure if if I go over a million, I think my brain just kind of checks out. 7.8 billion people in the world, two billion of them roughly are Christians, And Jesus knows each one by name. That's a very intimate idea. And because our shepherd knows us by name, we do not need another intermediary between us and Jesus. Jesus is our intermediary between us and the Father. Have you ever thought about how God listens to the prayers of his people in thousands of languages Millions of people praying to him at the same time, and he understands every one of them. That is an amazingly glorious thought to me, that I can pray in English. My brothers and sisters in Afghanistan can be praying right now and all around the world, and God hears and God understands. This, my know, this, this idea of my own know me also implies that there is no salvation outside of Jesus Christ because his sheep know him. Now, I, um, they know his name. Now, I, I, I want to say this. I, I do enjoy reading C.S. Lewis, and there's a lot of great stuff that he writes. There's one particular thing. He's passed away now, so I can't really converse with him about it. But there's one particular thing that he writes. He, he, he does believe that people who live in their own country, who follow their own religion, follow their own God, in the best way they know how, will ultimately be saved since they've never heard about Jesus. And... There are some people in the church who I've met who say, if we just simply don't go to these people and tell them about Jesus, and they never have the chance to hear, then they automatically get to go to heaven. But if we tell them and they reject, well, it's it's automatic hell forever. And we have to reject these ideas as unbiblical. Simply on the basis that Jesus is the door through through which the sheep go in and out and are saved, the shepherd knows his sheep, but the sheep also know the shepherd. Second, we can also say that this relationship between us knowing Jesus and Jesus knowing us, it, it means there's, there's intimacy. There is fellowship. 
There is relationship. The language of Jesus and the fathers knowing one another reflects an intimacy and an affection that they have between one another. Their relationship, their relationship is an eternal past, an eternal future relationship. Unlike us, we are not eternal beings. We have a very definite beginning. But forever, we will enjoy the presence of our Savior. But this also means that the intimacy that we share with our shepherd means that there is no sin in your life that is hidden from him. There is nothing that is private. There is nothing that you can commit that your shepherd doesn't already know about and that he didn't lay down his life for to bring reconciliation between you and the Father. So when, by the Spirit, a certain part of the darkness in your heart is revealed to you, you're just realizing it, but your shepherd knew it was already there. So just confess. He doesn't despise you for having it. He actually has already paid for it on the cross. So confess and find reconciliation. So we hear from Jesus that he has authority, and we read from Jesus that he about his necessity, but now I want us to try to understand Jesus' impact. Jesus has brought reconciliation, but for whom? This reconciliation, who is it for? It is for Jesus' sheep. So we have to ask, who exactly are Jesus' sheep? Verse number 16 says this, And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. First, I want to address the implication that we read in verse 16. Right? The implication is that the, the phrase, this fold, refers to the nation of Israel at the time that Jesus was living there. And so by saying that I have sheep that are not of this fold, the implication is that there are sheep in the fold of Israel. And we can look back at the book of Acts. Right? Jesus ascends into heaven. The Holy Spirit comes on the day of Pentecost. They begin to preach the gospel, and thousands of Jews in Jerusalem and around Judea They believe. They're of his sheep. They listened to his voice and they followed him. Second, the truth that Jesus is giving us here would would have been a little bit repulsive. Maybe not a little bit. Maybe quite a lot repulsive to the Jews of that time. There are sheep that are not of this fold. That would have caught them. Why is that? It's because Jesus, Jesus' sheep, first I have to ask the question, there are those that are Jesus' sheep that are out among the Gentiles the non-Jewish people of the world. And at that time, who did the Jews despise? Right? They despised the Romans, the Gentiles who were there, who had conquered them, who were not allowing them to establish the nation the way they wanted to. And the Jews were looking forward to a Messiah who would overthrow the Romans and reestablish the kingdom of Israel. We also can see that from that point in time, we can also look back at the very, very beginning of the nation of Israel. And we see that non-Jews, let's call them Gentiles, Gentiles had been coming in and they had been become kind of adopted in Jews. It was still the nation of Israel being established as God's kingdom that the Jews were looking forward to. But Jesus was pointing forward to something different when he was talking to his disciples here. Instead of non-Jewish sheep becoming part of the Jewish flock, Jesus was pointing forward to a time when there would be one flock under one shepherd but that flock would not be Jews and adopted in Jews. If we look at, listen, if we listen, excuse me, to Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 through 10, the apostle John is writing the vision that he sees about the last days, and he says this, I looked and behold, 
a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. The picture that we see here is of a multitude of people that the human eye, like the naked eye, could not count. It was people of different skin colors, people of different hairstyles, people of different worship styles, people of different languages. They were one flock, crying out in a loud voice that salvation belongs to their God and to the Lamb. And then we read further down in Revelation chapter 7, verse 17, this phrase, For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of water. Who is the shepherd here in verse 17? Jesus, our sacrificial lamb. He will be the shepherd. There will be one flock and one shepherd, and that flock will be gloriously diverse. Third, Jesus says that I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. I, lo- I love this phrase because it shows us Jesus' desire and his intention and his will toward the sheep who are not yet a part of the flock. Why do I love it? Because this phrase is talking about you and me. Unless any of you, and you could be, and I'll apologize later, I don't think there are any Jews here today in church. If you're Jewish, I apologize. Maybe you are Jewish, and you're part of the other flock, the flock that's over here. Otherwise, Jesus says, I have sheep that are not of this fold, and I must bring them in also. This is a great, because it's talking about you and me. Our shepherd has purposed to bring us in. And because we are his, we will listen to his voice. He knows us. He calls us by name. He leads us out. We follow him. He gives us abundant life. And he protects us from thieves and robbers that would only want to harm us. All of this is promised to his sheep. The question I want to ask you at this point is this. Are you one of his sheep? You see, there are hundreds of millions of people in this world who have never heard about the shepherd. They have never heard of Jesus, his life and his miracles, his death on the cross, his resurrection from the dead, his ascension into heaven, his future return to judge the living and the dead, and the day when he's going to separate the sheep from the goats. One group sent to eternal glory with the Father to live in his presence, and one group sent off to eternal fire away from his presence. Today you have heard the bad news and you have heard the good news. Today in many thousands of churches around the world, the voice of Jesus goes forth through the preaching of the word, calling his sheep to himself. And many reject the gift of salvation, but many receive it. Did you know that every day for the past 30 years on average, 20,000 people, imagine 20,000 people, I think the Hartford Yard Goats, is that the? 10,000 people, I think, roughly, 18,000. Double that, if you've been to the baseball stadium there, every day become believers in China. Every single day, 20,000 people are becoming Christians. It is amazing. They are hearing the voice of the shepherd calling them, and they are repenting of the path of rebellion that they have been walking on, And they turn to the path that the good shepherd is calling them to. 
It is not an easy path. In fact, it's a hard path, and it's a path that you have to count the cost of walking. Following Jesus, our shepherd, requires self-sacrifice because the world will not accept you telling them that there is any other master or any other Lord other than him. Today, the voice of the shepherd is calling you because you are here. In verse number nine, we read, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and go in and out and find pasture. If anyone. The offer of salvation is freely given to all without caveat. The good shepherd calls you to come and to die so that you might live. If anyone. Today, are you the anyone who has yet to go through the door and to be saved? If so, I truly plead with you. Repent and believe in the Lord Jesus. There is no magic formula or prayer. You can just simply pray and tell God, I repent from my own path, the way that I'm walking, it's eternal destruction. I don't want to walk it anymore. I see the glory of the good shepherd who is the door and I want to walk this way. Will you please help me? And if you have prayed that, if you think that and you say, yes, I want to do that, I would encourage you either on your connection card that's in your bulletin to say something about that and put your name so we can connect with you, to hang around after the service and to talk with the elders who are here to call the church this week because we want to celebrate the decision for you to walk through the door and be saved. If you are his sheep, you are also hearing his voice today. In response to the good shepherd, his sheep respond by faith. His sheep are called to make his voice known as ambassadors and as proclaimers. If you are one of his sheep, I want to encourage you today through something in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. My, uh, my, my, my degree, my master's degree is in Bible translation, and so sometimes I take a little bit of liberty with uh, paraphrasing the Bibles because I try to make it a little more understandable. But I want to paraphrase one section of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It says this, God has reconciled us, the church, to himself through Jesus Christ. And he has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. That means that we are ambassadors for Christ. And God is making his appeal to the world through us. The word ambassador comes from the Latin word meaning servant. An ambassador is someone who serves as a messenger to people who is not her, her, his or her, not their own, the ambassador does not promote their own interest, but only promotes the interest that are of the one who sent them. The interest of the one who has sent us and whom we serve is this, that, the, that we would appeal to the world, be reconciled to God. He has made our sinless shepherd to be the punishment for our sin. Believe in him. God has reconciled us to himself, and now we are his ambassadors with a specific ministry of reconciling the world to God. This is an amazing thought because I would not have chose me. I like you. I probably wouldn't choose you either. But God has chosen us to be the means through which the world is reconciled to himself. We are now the voice of the shepherd that goes forth preaching his good news. But do people have to actually hear the good news to believe and be reconciled? 
I mean, can they just kind of like be living somewhere? I guess that's the question, right? To contrast the question. Can they be living somewhere and just kind of come up with the idea that God is kind of there and he's good and there's a savior? I want to read from Romans chapter 10. I want to read to you this flow of thought from the Apostle Paul. Everyone who calls on the name of Jesus, this comes from verses 13 and 17, if you're writing it down, Romans 10, 13 through 17. Everyone who calls on Jesus for salvation will be saved. But how can they call on Jesus if they haven't believed in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard of him? And how are they going to hear if no one proclaims the good news to them? And how is someone going to proclaim the good news to them if no one is sent? The feet of those who proclaim the good news are beautiful, but not everyone's going to believe. So, faith to believe comes from hearing the proclaimed message about Jesus. This is Christ's proclamation church. Proclamation. We proclaim Christ. Why? Because if we do not proclaim Christ, people will not hear. And if they do not hear, they will not believe. They will not call upon Jesus to save them. God has actually ordained that proclamation about the reconciliation happen through those who have already been reconciled. God is appealing through us, his ambassadors. It is a very weighty, a very serious matter to realize that God actually grants a faith to believe to the sheep that are out there, but they've yet to hear. He does that through our pro- proclamation of the good news. So since God has ordained for you to be the means by which sheep hear his voice, I have three questions I want to ask. It's based on this, knowledge, confidence, and accountability. Knowledge. Do you know how to proclaim the good news? Do you know how to share the gospel with people? Confidence. Are you confident to do so? And accountability. Do you have accountability to do that? We have to know how to do something before we can begin. But once we know how to do it, we need confidence in doing it. And then once we have knowledge and confidence, we need accountability to continue in the good that we ought to do. And starting in October, ding, 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 there are these Sunday seminars. And one of the Sunday seminar topics is going to be evangelism. And we didn't plan that. I don't know, maybe you did. Steve's a pretty smart guy. But here's a Sunday seminar. It's about evangelism. And if you want to come, if you want to say, okay, I don't know how I would share my testimony. I don't know how I'd share the gospel. I don't know how I would bridge into a conversation with somebody to try to begin understanding their worldview. This class is for you. Come and learn how to do that. Come and gain confidence in doing it. Come and have accountability with us doing it together. For some of you, your ambassadorial role will take you outside the borders of Connecticut. Do you remember the picture from Revelation of all the tribes and the ethnic groups and the languages that were there? They're gathered as one flock under the one shepherd. There are sheep living in places around the world where there has never been an ambassador go, being the voice of the good shepherd. And so God sends beautiful feet to proclaim the good news. They go there to proclaim the gospel because faith in Christ comes to the sheep only through the proclamation of the gospel. So could God be stirring in you to be someone who goes out to other nations to be his ambassador?
For some of you, your ambassadorial role means that you'll remain in Connecticut, but your involvement with the global flock will be expanded in some way. Perhaps you become someone who is more intentional to pray for overseas missionaries and overseas work. Perhaps you're someone who actually becomes a mobilizer, someone who catches a vision for missions, but you stay where you are and you begin to mobilize other people to go overseas and do that kind of work. Maybe you become someone who goes on short-term trips to help the long-term missionaries that are there working in those countries. What does it look like for you to be an ambassador right here in Connecticut? To be a proclaimer. Right where you are, for the here and now, we are called to be faithful. It is so easy to fall in love with the abstract and the distant. Missions and people groups around the world, that's easy to fall in love with. But if you're not being faithful right now and here with what you're doing, well, if you're not faithful in little, right, he will not give you the more to do. What roles in your life do you value more than being an ambassador for Christ? How often does fear motivate your silence rather than the good shepherd voice and you being that and your love with him compel you to be that voice of the good shepherd? You see, these last couple of questions I, I want to drive at are about one thing, and it's about burden. You see, you can have knowledge and you can have confidence and you can have accountability in evangelism, but if the burden is not there, you will not put feet to the good that you know you ought to do. So my challenge for you today is this, is for somehow your ambassadorial role to, be to begin to include being faithful right now where God has you and for your role to also to begin to be expanded somehow to include the global flock so that the sheep who are out among the nations who have yet to hear his voice have an opportunity to do so and to respond and to follow him. Jesus came to die to gather all his sheep from around the world. Let us be a part of gathering them in through our proclamation. Let me pray for us as we end. Our Father, we are thankful that we have heard the voice of the Good Shepherd and that because of your Spirit's empowering, you have opened our minds and our hearts to believe and you've given us a new heart. You've changed our heart of st a stone to a heart of flesh. And now we, we follow him and we know him and he knows us and it's a very gloriously wonderful thing and we can not wait. We say with every being, every fiber of our being, come Lord Jesus, we cannot wait for your return. Because we will enjoy you without taint of sin, without any death looming over us. One day, gloriously, we will enjoy you. But until that day, empower us and strengthen us to be the ambassadors who are proclaiming your good news so that your sheep can hear your voice and follow you. Help us to be faithful. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.